Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 398. Hello, and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Premed Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited that you've taken some time out of your day to listen to myself and my guests. And we're going to be talking all about study habits and flashcards and Anki and so much more, really going through study strategies for pre-meds and beyond. Before we jump into that, I want to let you know about Mapped. Mapped is still available for pre-order. Mapped is the new technology platform that I've co-founded with Rachel Grubbs, someone who has been in the test prep and pre-health world for almost 20 years. And we have our VP of Academic Advising, Dr. Scott Wright, who's actually been on this podcast before, who was the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, the former executive director of TMDSAS. He's on our team providing so much valuable information. MAPT is a platform where you are going to enter your courses, your activities, your practice MCAT scores, your target MCAT date and score. And the platform will be able to guide you through the process of where you're at and feedback based on how you're doing and things to think about based on the information that you have given us. In the future, you'll be able to communicate with your pre-health advisors through it. You're going to be able to do a ton of stuff. Right now, it's at its cheapest price because it's a pre-order special. We're getting, we're actually getting ready to start rolling it out to those who have pre-ordered within the next couple weeks. Go to mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com to find out some more information about Mapped and everything we're doing to help you get into medical school. Today, I have pre-rock on with me, and what you're going to hear is a recording of our conversation that we had for National Pre-Med Day, which is way back on May 28th. It seems like so long ago, uh, but I brought pre-rock on because he's on Instagram all the time doing amazing fun things 
and and really talking about uh, his journey and study habits. He's an MD MBA student at Yale, and he is awesome. So we're going to chat chat with uh, Pre Rock, and we'll talk to you on the other side. Let's bring Pre Rock. Hey. What's up, buddy? On? You're hey, on live. Great. Talking to the world. We got 620. Let's, let's see if we can get a thousand people here during your talk. Get, <laughs> <That'll be awesome. laughs> get, get them uh, rocking and rolling up, uh, up with their, their studying. So pre-rock MD, MBA wow. student candidate, yes. as they, they like to say the fancy word, I'm a candidate um, <laughs> at Yale, fancy, fancy pants university over there. Yeah. How does, how does someone get into Yale for medical school? I mean, I think it's, it's not even just Yale. I think medical, any medical school these days is ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> what, it was like 40 something percent last time I checked, which is absolutely yeah. absurd. Yeah. And it is a crapshoot. I think we've talked about this before where, you know, some schools you'll be like, whoa, like I thought I would be able to get an interview from there and you don't. And then there's <laughs> other schools where you're like, this is a dream school. And then you get an interview from there. So it is, it's really tough. I don't think there's any straight shot scientific method that i've seen tried yeah. and true yeah you, you gotta watch out for your woes whenever you say whoa i want to do a little tiktok like whoa like. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, i've been watching too much tiktok lately so um you started your life over over at uc school so a lot of students think oh the uc schools like they're they're so competitive everyone coming out is amazing and so it's really hard to to get to medical school from uc schools and it's just it's it's weird to hear that thought but from from your point of view, right? And, and we're going to talk all about study habits and all that, because obviously you had to be a good student to get into Yale and, and to do well in undergrad. Mm-hmm. What, from from your point of view, being in California, being in the big UC system, uh, with so many other students who want to be pre-med, how were you successful in that environment with everyone else in that environment as well? What was that like for you? Um, I think it takes a lot of adjusting to one uh, thing that I talk about a lot is I think people see the end result and assume that the path to getting there was easy or fun or great. And that's not necessarily true. So I actually had pretty bad imposter syndrome my first two years at UC Berkeley. And part of that was the uh, fact that there's over 800, 900 people in your chemistry class. And that's like the first thing you walk into to see 900 people just like sitting there and you're like, I've never seen this many people in a room before. Um, So I think part of it was figuring out how to fend for myself in the sense of like, if I have questions, you really have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and figure out how you're going to answer those questions. Um, And going through those things and getting everything figured out and learning how to pull yourself up, I think is the hardest part. And just going through that, that route. What did you stumble at all in undergrad and and had to, what we've been talking about a bunch is course correcting and, and not every path is a straight line, but there's lots of twists and turns. Was that ever an issue for you or were you pretty solid throughout? In terms of like academically, if you were to look at my transcript, I don't think you would see any, stumbling quote unquote, but I think I stumbled a lot mentally my first two years. Um, in that regard, I would have a lot of days where I would call my parents just completely crying, feeling like I was freaking out over a test, um, completely had my priorities up backwards. I don't think I even had really any friends until my third or fourth year of college because I was just so imposter syndrome heavy, felt like I didn't deserve to be there. So spending 
three, four hours a night sleeping. And then the rest of it, I was just studying. I didn't even bother trying to make friends. So I stumbled a lot mentally my first three years. And it took me a while to realize like, Hey, life isn't just all about school. I have to learn to balance these things. I have to learn to balance my family my friends, people I care about. Um, so in that regard, I felt like that was one of the things I learned the most my first like three years at, at Cal. Were you avoiding all of that other stuff because that's what you thought you had to do to be successful? What, what was the reason for, for not taking care of the rest of life? Yeah, I think so. I think you're, I think up until college, at least for me, I was so sheltered uh, because I went to a high school. I definitely had quite, quite a lot of privilege to have parents who were um, caring enough to take care of a lot of the finances. And so I was very sheltered. So I went into college thinking, oh, I just have to study. And especially when you have the mindset of like, oh, I don't deserve to be at this university or, oh my God, I need to work so hard to be uh, exactly at the same place where someone else may not need to work as hard. Um, I think that was the main thing, the perspective, which I did need to shift, you know, going into medical school, I started realizing, you know, like life is going to happen. Like there's so many things in our life that will potentially throw you off. And there will be things that you have to prioritize consistently, even when you are studying for, you know, your board exams or or something crazy. And you just have to figure out a way to make it work because studying is going to be a part of the rest of my life at this point and pretty much the rest of any pre-med life. Yeah. And I like that perspective, right? You uh, obviously in undergrad have a lot of classmates in medical school. You have a lot of classmates and and going from uh, the West coast in the UC system to obviously an Ivy league medical school, that imposter syndrome probably walking on campus was, was ramped up tenfold to go, wait a minute, am I supposed to be here? Like, what, what did, like, what did you do? You, you cured cancer. What am I doing here? Right. Um, yeah. what, what was that like to make that shift on, uh, onto a medical school campus with, with all these students who have done obviously amazing things to be where, where everyone is. It's, it's surreal. I will say, um, primarily because again, there's only a hundred people in my class. And so to walk in and know like the 99 other people in my class are literally people who have done crazier things. And, and the other odd part is that Yale has around 20 MD PhDs. Mm. So we have a hundred person class, but 20 MD PhDs and then like 80 MD students. So, and everyone has almost done something crazy or <laughs> miraculous. And I know that's not necessarily even limited to Yale. I think I could say that about most, most schools. And it, and it is the good part about, having gone to Cal was that I felt not as much imposter syndrome. <laughs> I was like, I've been here. I've seen this. I know what it's like. Everyone here is freaking amazing, but that doesn't take anything away from my story and my journey. Um, and I loved what you said earlier, just like run your own race, right? Like put, it's great to be around people who inspire you. It's great to be around people who you can take inspiration from, but the, they should not put you down or hearing the experiences of someone else should not make you feel like your experiences are any less valid. Um, And so what I've really learned is like, great, cool. Everyone's amazing. Everyone's really smart. And I may not have done as well as you on this test, but that doesn't invalidate my experiences. And I'm just going to kind of run my own race. Right. And, and, everyone is struggling with their own crap, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're struggling with what you're struggling with. And then you, you see your classmate like, oh, that was the easiest thing ever. But whatever's the easiest thing to you is probably the hardest thing to them. So it's, exactly. it's all, it's all balances out. Yeah. So let's talk about study strategies. Cause again, to, to walk the path that you've been on, obviously you've been a good student 
Does that come easy to you or have you built in systems and, and strategies to actually figure out how to become a better student? Um, definitely does not come easy. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never will say that. Um, because I do know a lot of the people in my med school class definitely comes easy to them. They read things once and it's just there. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) How is that possible? They're like, yeah, I just read the chapter. And I'm like, that's it. That's all you had to do. (laughs) Okay. Sheldon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I actually had to build in a lot of strategies um, and they were refined starting from my first year at Cal to now, which is around seven years. And every year I kind of put in an input, see what works, see what doesn't take everything out that doesn't work and kind of refine and and redo. So at uh, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, what I did was I was using Quizlet a lot. And that was my main method of studying. And at that very early time, I realized like flashcards were 100% the way for me to learn. For someone Uh, who doesn't know what Quizlet is, so Quizlet, Q-U-I-Z-L-E-T, Quizlet, right? Um, For someone who doesn't know what Quizlet is, what is it, just briefly? Quizlet is basically uh, an online flashcard app. It basically is a pretty easy user interface to use. You put in, you know, the front of the flashcard, you know, something simple like what are the four bases in DNA and on the back you write ACGT um, and you kind of can do that for every single class. So I did that for every class I ever took at UC Berkeley. And what I would do is leading up to the test, I would have this deck of flashcards for every class. And I would just finish that whole deck. I'd know it inside out. And then I'd do a lot of practice exams. Um, and that was actually a very surefire way for me uh, to solidify concepts. Ended up doing really, really well uh, academically. Uh, and so that's kind of what I ended up you know, sticking to. And again, it was still a lot of hours. I think, again, as I wasn't sleeping more than three or four hours a night. So I was still working my ass off. Yeah. Uh, but it worked. It worked so well that I was like, holy cow, I'm definitely going to need to keep this up. Were you making your own flashcards or were you downloading packs of flashcards that you could find online? For undergrad, I was making my own flashcards because I feel like undergrad curriculum can be so subjective based on schools. I was definitely making my own flashcards. It's it's funny the the example that you gave for that flashcard the ACGT I'm like that would be an awesome name for an ACDC cover band a medical school ACDC cover band <laughs> That's not a bad idea for a music video exactly yes ACGT a medical school parody I mean that's that's really the goal I think of every pre med is just to get into medical school so they can participate in a parody video. Oh yeah, that was a fun one. That was that was that was really fun. So you start with Quizlet, right? You're making your own flashcards, which is what we've always recommended on the the MCAT podcast that I do with uh, Blueprint MCAT. We always recommend, right? That's that's where a lot of the learning takes place is is writing out those flashcards or typing out those flashcards in, in terms of electronic flashcard apps. It, it sounds like maybe that switched a little bit for medical school. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? So medical school is just too much. <laughs> Final answer. <laughs> yeah, too much. Because yeah. I mean, when I was an undergrad, I was like, there's no way they can put more into a month than I did in undergrad. Like these classes are so intense. And then you get to medical school and you're like, holy cow, there's no way this is possible, but they're putting more into like a day than I've ever done in like a month. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, you actually have to start relying not only on your own ability to make flashcards and understand concepts, but also what is the bigger picture here, right? Because it's tough to know what you need to know for the board exams 
unless you actually have a macroscopic view, but you won't have that macroscopic view until you're done with the first two years. So you kind of have to rely a little bit on both your own flashcards and what you think will be important for the test, but also on, you know, tried and true validated methods from other people who know, okay, you're learning about cardio cardiac physiology right now. And while you there may be some subjective material at your school that you will want to know more than others. Here's what you definitely should know for cardiac physiology for your United States medical licensing exams that everyone has to take and will 100% be the hardest test you probably take in your life. Right. And so um, because of that, you kind of have to make this switch uh, onto Anki is kind of what most medical students use now. And the reason for that is because Anki has a lot more pre-made decks. It has a lot more um, user interface it, the user interface is worse, but it has a lot more <laughs> um, optionalities to modify that user interface, you know? So it gives you a lot more options as to how to go about making your flashcards. Do you want to make your own? Do you want to modify? Do you want to add images? So there's a lot of lot more customizability, which is definitely needed for medical school, yeah. I believe. And Anki is A-N-K-I for, for all of those. Not, not Anki, Anki is how we say it. Um, yeah. At least that's how I say it. That's how you say it. Um, yeah. Maybe wrong. It's like that whole GIF, 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 GIF uh, debate. <laughs> what, exactly. what is the founder, the creator of Anki? How does, how does he or she think it's said? So, yeah, it's interesting. So you've uh, obviously medical school, right? You're fitting a whole semester of information into a, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's almost impossible, literally is impossible to to be able to write all of your own flashcards. Mm-hmm. Um, just one one random side question for Anki, right? One of the big things that that students like about Anki is the the science behind and the data behind spaced repetition. Is that something that Quizlet has as well, or is that an Anki thing only? I believe that was an Anki thing. Yeah. I was initially started with Anki. I'm sure Quizlet is trying to get into it because Anki is so good at it that Quizlet realized that if they wanted to be in the same market, they would need to integrate it in somehow. And And it's it's not them now. Everyone's doing it. Like all the banks are doing it. um, Kaplan's doing it. Ambos is trying to do it now. So I think Anki was the first one to solidify it. That concept of space repetition, which there have been multiple papers about, um, but all these other flashcard apps are slowly getting into the game. Let's talk about space repetition real quick for someone who doesn't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I love talking about it. So, I mean, the whole idea of remembering something is fascinating, right? Because we can talk about something today. I don't know, a concept about, I don't know, beta oxidation in the mitochondria, (laughs) right? And then tomorrow, if I asked you that again, you'd be like, oh yeah, we just talked about it. Beta oxidation is this. That's what you told me. And by you just telling me that again tomorrow, you have now reinforced that neural network that you just created about beta oxidation, which initially is in your hippocampus and then is transmitted to your cortex where it lies for really long-term space, long-term retention. Uh, And so the whole point is, By visiting that concept over time, you, if you visit that concept after one day, you won't need to see it again until three days. But then if you visit it in three days, you won't need to see it until one week. And if you see it in one week, then you won't need to see it again for three weeks. Because the whole point is you're strengthening that initial neural network to the point where now it can actually rely in your head without you needing to consistently refer back to it. Yeah. And so that space repetition algorithm is then brought into Anki with the flashcard um, flashcard design. So you'll see a flashcard initially on the first day, and then you'll see it again on the third or fifth day. And then uh, on the third or fifth day, if you know it, you'll see it again in maybe two or three weeks. And so the whole point of this is you are training your brain and very mechanistically so, right? It's all based on science to uh, take this information 
from short-term to long-term retention. And so that way, when you come to take your board exam, you go in, uh, you can actually get a score that is purely based on everything in your head, which is really impressive because you pretty much have converted everything to long-term retention. Talk about um, the, the so so space repetition is literally use it uh, use it or lose it and then some data behind how often do you have to use it to to get to that point. What learning what you've learned now, taking what you've learned now as a medical student, uh, assuming being a successful medical student and you're not on the the cusp of, of failing out, what what yeah. would you take now? And recommend to pre-med students who are studying for their courses, studying for the MCAT, et cetera. Um, I think it's uh, the broader theme of some form of flashcards, some form of, it doesn't even have to be flashcards because you may be able to do flashcard based learning by even going through your lectures. You know, maybe you'll go through your first, all your lectures um, one day and then go through them over in three days and in a week, but doing some form of consistent learning because the thing I don't like and I'm actually writing up uh, a small manuscript on this uh, and to publish in a journal is the fact that right now our education system is based on this binge and purge approach. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure you've seen it. It's like, Oh, we're learning all about electricity and magnetism. I'm going to learn everything there is to know about this. But the moment I walk out of the final, I'm going to purge all that information. It doesn't matter. Right. And that's kind of how education works because unfortunately you have a test. And then once you're done with the test, you're like, I don't need to know this anymore. It's all gone. <laughs> yeah. Make room for the next thing. Exactly. And that's fair because that's the kind of system we're in. Yeah. But for medical school, what you'll really need is some sort of long-term uh, mechanism because there's never going to be, oh, never going to need cardiac physiology again. It's like, no, you'll definitely need it again. <laughs> so find a way to make it stick. Just because you're done with it in school doesn't mean you won't need to know it uh, ever again. Yeah. Does... <laughs> Going from being a, a college student and and going to that binge and purge kind of mentality uh, with with what you're learning to medical school, is there more fear is not really the right word, but is there more do you feel more responsibility both personally and, and talking with your classmates? Do you feel more responsibility for committing everything to long-term memory? Because it's like, well, this is right, the, the memes that you see online of like, I'm not studying to pass a test, I'm studying to save a life. Do do you put that into perspective and does that help or does that add too much pressure and you're like, I can't do this? Most of the time it actually helps quite a bit. Um, but I think that's, that's way more applicable to certain types of things we learn in medical school. So like the clinical medicine, which I, I'm sure like any physician will agree, like learning clinical medicine is very rewarding and it's actually really motivating to try to make sure you have long-term mechanism of understanding it. Cause let's say you need to intubate a patient, you need to put a, put an IV line in, you need to know what kind of fluids a patient needs. All of those things are very important things that if you actually knew long-term, you would be seen as such a great physician because you can take care of patients really well. But at the same time, it can sometimes be discouraging for other facets of information where you're like, there's no, t- there's no time in my uh, like entire career as a physician, I will need to know any enzyme in the beta oxidation <laughs> ever. Yeah. And you will need to know all of them, right. <laughs> for the, for the step one exam. And so some for some things it's very motivating and i'd say for like clinical medicine is very motivating and easy to be like wow i'm going to need to know this i need to get my crap together and make sure i know it but some other stuff you really do have to kind of close your eyes and be like i'm probably never going to use this in my life but 
I need it because I need to get a good exam score and I need to get into residency. Um, I struggled with that a bunch, right? I, I went into medical school going, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon, biochemistry. I, I don't need to know this, right? And I spent all my time uh, or histology and I spent all my time on, on anatomy and I failed my first histology test because I focused all my time on what I liked and what mm-hmm. I was good at and what I wanted, uh, what I assumed was going to be more applicable. And I just mm-hmm. kind of ignored the whole, oh yeah, there's a test that I need to pass yeah. for, for students going through this process, struggling more with the mindset that I had of, of like, this is dumb. I don't need to know this. This, this isn't going to make me a good doctor, right? How, how do you, how do you fight through those days and, and those thoughts? Um, I always try to relate it back to the bigger picture because I totally agree with you in the sense that yes, you will never need to know like those enzymes ever in your life. But one thing I always tell myself is except, my goal, except nephrologists, they seem to have to know everything <laughs> we'll yeah, <laughs> for some reason. Nephrolog- There's always like the exceptions to the rule. Nephrology <laughs> is definitely one of them. Um, but the way I like to motivate is like, yes, I may not need to ever know these specifics, but knowing these specifics will still help my broader understanding of clinical medicine. Like I may not ever need to know like acetazolamide inhibits carbonic anhydrase, but knowing that actually does help me understand, Oh, this is why they use it when they have increased intracranial pressure uh, for someone who has hydrocephalus or something like that. Right. And so by knowing these small details, one of the things I've personally learned to appreciate is yeah, of course I don't need to know this to be a good physician, but by knowing it, I'll be an excellent physician, you know, like we'll be one step higher because now when you're actually giving these meds, when you're giving, you know, this stuff, you actually understand the small details and nuances behind how they work. And so one, you'll be able to teach it to someone else, which is great. And if you love teaching, that's a positive, but two, you'll understand the nuances of, oh my God, at the molecular level, here's what's happening. Or, oh my God, um, at a very scientific level, here's why this works. And this other thing doesn't, which again, you don't need to be an excellent physician, but it does definitely help put things into perspective sometimes. Yeah. The, the, the one thing talking about spaced repetition, as you mentioned to your example, <laughs> something popping into my mind that I haven't thought about in forever, but something that, that had to be drilled into my mind by my now wife as we were mm-hmm. students studying was carboxylase enzymes use biotin. That's just like, for some reason that had to be drilled into my head and it's still stuck in there somewhere. Uh, and it's because they add an extra carbon group. So biotin helps move in one carbon group from one <laughs> molecule onto another molecule. Yeah. Right. So like all these like small details where you're like, this is, am I ever going to need to know this? Probably not. <laughs> not at all. But cool. Yeah. So, so let's talk resources because students love tools and resources. We talked about Quizlet. We talked about Anki. For Anki, would you go back as, as a college student now, for students listening to this, the pre-meds listening to this, would you recommend that, that they go and download packs that are available for the, the classes maybe that they're taking? Or would you recommend that they do make their own flashcards? For undergrad, this is all based personally from my bias. I would not recommend any pre-made decks, yeah. uh, primarily because if you go to an undergrad, the classes you're learning will more often than not cover everything for the MCAT, but they'll often be so different from one another that having a pre-made deck will actually hurt you a lot. Because in your cl- undergrad classes, one, they're letter graded. 
right? Medical school classes now, most are pass-fail, right? So you can take a lot more risks in medical school because all you need to do is pass, right? And the whole point of that is because they know there's so much information. So just get most of it. In undergrad, your grades do matter and they matter a lot. Um, So there's no reason for you to use someone else's notes because one, they're not relevant to you. And two, classes vary so much from one school to another, because one school may be quarter, one school may be semester, one school may cover chemistry based on a Nobel laureate, another school may cover chemistry based on someone who's a chemistry professor and all they do is teach, and the Nobel laureate may emphasize his research and a chemistry professor may, you know, so I I would definitely recommend making your own flashcards for undergrad. So Anki, Quizlet, what other fun resources have you seen that have helped you study? Any, Any other tools out there? I mean, I think people often make the misconception like, oh, just do the flashcards and you'll be ready. The one thing I always say is flashcards give you the foundation, but the thing that will really take you to the A, A plus level is making sure you get in a lot of practice, a lot of practice questions. So whether that's in the form of every practice midterm your class gives you, whether that's in the form of previous practice midterms, whether that's in the form of, you know, a test bank, a Q bank for the MCAT. Mm. Do not ever think that, oh, I know all my flashcards and therefore I'm ready. For example, I just took my step one. And for that, I was doing around 1,500 cards a day. But then I was also doing around 150 questions. And by the end of the whole thing, I'd finished around five to 6,000 questions, right? So just doing those flashcards was not enough because you need to understand how those flashcards will be integrated into a vignette and how they're going to ask you questions about the things that you already know but you don't even know how they're going to ask you about it yeah so doing a lot of questions is definitely huge yeah that's that that's definitely one of the biggest pitfalls i've seen students make when it comes to studying for the mcat is they sit there with their their three different sets of mcat books they've read them all front to back over and over and over again and they go and take their test without ever taking a full length and they're like oh i I didn't do so well but i knew all the information right i had it all so definitely definitely integrating that into into their head and so a lot of you uh, asking a lot of questions which is awesome pre-rock you're gonna jump over to the q a channel in a minute uh, so students can ask you some some more uh, personal questions for for you Having gone through this process, uh, obviously being successful, doing well in undergrad, doing well now in college, moving on. How do you uh, how do how do you keep going? Right, I think a lot of students at this point, as as pre meds, they're they're burnt out. They're they're like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you keep it going? How do you keep that fire burning? I mean, it's tough. I will say that. I mean, I'm in my third year of med school and it's even harder when you're in med school because you realize I have residency still and that's (laughs) already hard and residency is supposed to be harder. Um, One thing I do is just one day at a time. Like it's just so easy to, and one day at a time. And not only that, like enjoy the journey, right? Don't, don't focus on this end result of becoming a physician and then I'll be done because as that's such a big misguided myth. Like you becoming a physician one day may eventually help solve a lot of these problems you're seeing, which is, oh, I have no time, all those things. But if you're not enjoying the day-to-day journey, that journey is at least 10 years <laughs> after undergrad. And you need to figure out a way to you know live in the moment and enjoy the day-to-day. So for me, that's, yes, I'm studying all the time, but let's say my family decides to go out for dinner or something's happening. I almost always now have realized like, 
I'm going to be studying for the rest of my life. Here are the things that I also want to make a priority. So I run every day. I hang out with my sister every day. I hang out with my parents every day. I try to make time for when I'm back at Yale, my friends or hanging out with my friends. I'm going to enjoy this journey because as I said, it's so easy to say, screw all of it. I'm going to just study now. And then when I'm a physician, I'll be able to resume my life, which is a very big misconception because I'm sure as as a physician yourself, it doesn't become an easier job when you're a physician. That extra time just goes somewhere else because you have more responsibilities. (laughs) Um, And so that's kind of the way I've motivated myself, which is take it one day at a time, one step at a time. Uh, and enjoy the ride, enjoy it. Because every step, you know, pre-meds may look at me and be like, oh, you're a med student, what do you have to worry about? And I look at residents and say, so so there's always the grass is greener on the other side. So I think that's the thing to keep in perspective. We we need to be on a time delay so we can bleep out the cussing. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Um, Pre-Rock, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to join us today to share some of your wisdom. Uh, Thank you so much. Good luck on the rest of your journey. I hope you continue to enjoy it and and stay motivated through it. Uh, If you guys want to join Pre-Rock in the Q&A room, it's just uh, so what you're watching right now, if you're watching this live, is on the mapped Facebook page or YouTube page. The Q&A room is on the Medical School HQ pre-med or uh, Facebook page and YouTube page as well. All right, so there you have it. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Understanding a little bit more about study strategies and more for a pre-med student and beyond. Don't forget to sign up and, and keep an eye out, really. Not really sign up. We can't sign up yet, but keep an eye out for National Pre-Med Day next year. Uh, it's something that we hope to do every year. We reach thousands upon thousands of students for National Pre-Med Day this year, and we did it in just a few weeks' time. So with a full year to schedule and to plan and to really shape the conference. Uh, And it'll be online again, likely um, to shape the conference in the way that we want. We hope to provide even more value next year for you. Don't forget to go check out mappedmappd.com as it's still on pre-order as we're recording this, as this releases at the beginning of June. We're hoping mid-August, if all things go well, to have the software out for everyone. But those who pre-order are going to get earlier access than everyone else. So mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.